This is exactly right. If you're a fan of meticulously crafted worlds that reimagine every little detail, then you'll enjoy the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Host Eric Malinsky spent over a decade working in public radio and uses those skills to create a sound-rich podcast that features interviews with Andy Weir, who wrote The Martian, the writers of hit TV shows like Star Trek Strange New Worlds, designers of games like Magic the Gathering, and the puppeteer who designed Miss Piggy. You can find Imaginary Worlds wherever you're listening to this podcast. Welcome to another episode of I Saw What You Did. My name is Millie DeCherico. I'm Daniel Henderson. And we're here to talk about the discourse. The film discourse. Well, to add to it, at least. Yes. What? What is... I feel like discourse is being overused these days. And I'm sort of like, that's a term that I remember from grad school. Mm-hmm. And now it's being used casually amongst just like people. Absolutely. It's one of those concepts, I think, that people latch on to because it makes them sound real smart. Yeah, there's a lot of like uh, real smart, smart people terms being thrown around lately amongst people who I know, who I know personally are dumbasses. <laughs> uh, well, I got some discourse for you. Oh, I'm ready. I'm ready <laughs> to hear it. So, you know, you know, I watch a lot of television with my grandma. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is daytime TV. Of course. And she there's there's just so much weirdness that happens in daytime TV that I don't think I think we could have a whole podcast about it, which we will not. We don't have the time or space in our lives for it, but mm. someone should do it because there is a lot going on. There's a lot happening. There's particularly a lot happening in commercials. So we've already talked about the Camp Lejeune commercials and how now yes. I get ads and emails for it. One thing I noticed. And I think it's possible, if I'm the first person to put this out there, that's fine, I'll take it. I'm wondering, I, I mean, I, I don't know if people are aware, mm. but Tom Selleck is the new Wilford Brimley. Okay. I, I, I have, I, I'm pretty sure you're going to have nothing but support for this theory. <laughs> I came with receipts. I did. Okay, I'm I'm curious as to why you think this. And it's it is simply because of commercials. Yes. Okay. So Tom. So as we as we know, Anthony Wilford Brimley, <laughs> who died in 2020. Can you believe that? 2020. I thought he was dead in 1989. Oh, I know. I know. Hmm. The man lived. He truly lived. And growing up, he was a spokesperson for a lot of things. He was he was the face of Quaker Oats. That's right. He did diabetes education. That's right. And he did commercials for Liberty Medical. Mm. And Liberty Medical still to this day does most of their advertising during the daytime slots. Of course. Right? Right. So he was like that spokesperson for like old people shit. Sure. When we were kids. Yeah. Here's how old we are now. Tom Selleck is now doing that. Oh. Tom Selleck it- is out here in a commercial for a company called AAG that sells reverse mortgages. 
<laughs> and he is sitting down at in homes. He is sitting across from tables, like real folksy. Like folks, I wouldn't tell you to do something that wasn't completely right and safe for you. Get a reverse mortgage. Live your life. And I'm like, I, I don't, at some point this week, I have seen this commercial hundreds of times. At some point this week, I'm like, holy shit, he's Wilford Brimley. In our lifetime, we have watched an actor become the new Wilford Brimley. Okay, I have so much to say and so many questions. Okay, number number one, I, th- there have been stages before Tom Selleck yes. because I remember, and, and it's kind of that thing where it's like, it feels like after a certain age, you start to do like the colonial pen life insurance mm-hmm. stuff. And I remember when it was like William Shatner and Alex Trebek and all of this, all of these people, and they were going in these worlds where like suddenly it's like, well, okay, you're not on like sitcoms anymore. You're maybe on celebrity roasts once in a while or something, right. but it's never like, you know, you're not doing the Magnum PI stuff, right? Or even the Friends stuff. Right. But he's on Blue Bloods. See, that's what I'm. That's why I'm, I'm like. That's why I'm kind of going. Does he need to be doing these commercials? <laughs> like I'm like, he seems fine. And this is this is what I'm saying. He has been acting for like 50 years. Yeah, for over 50 years, probably. Yeah, and I'm assuming he's okay. But not even knowing if he's okay or not, I don't even know if it's like the need to do it. It's the why. The why. And he's so folksy. Like, he's all leaning in and hunched over like, folks, come on. Like, he, the way he talks is very, like, patronizing and, like, very, mm-hmm. like, tired. Kind of like Wilford Brimley, where he's like, you know, I wouldn't do this. It's very, yeah. <laughs> very weird. I love that impression of Wilford Brimley that you just did. <laughs> in fact, I'm if we could get our producer you. Casey to make it into an MP3, I would listen to it constantly. Oh, I'm sure I'm sure it's already done. <laughs> Casey's quick. Casey, Casey is lightning quick. <laughs> but he is. He's, it's like this, you know, and a reverse mortgage is such a weird thing to begin with. And so he's out here like educating people, but also like talking them into buying this thing. And I don't even know if you're buying it because it's like they give you money. It just seems like a weird scam that he's trying. I don't understand it. And I don't know why he's a spokesperson for it, but it is very strange to see him go from like the sex symbol that our moms all fucking fainted over to a hunched over dude on a table being like, yeah, you got to get your fucking reverse mortgage. Go on vacation. Have fun with your grandkids. Okay. I I guess I'm also, and this is because I'm not a homeowner. Okay. I guess I'm a little unclear on what a reverse mortgage is too. Everybody is. Nobody knows what it is. Is that a scam, actually? I don't. To me, it sounds like a fucking scam. Reverse anything, that's a scam. Okay, I'm looking it up. But to me, it's like they pay you money so that they, like, whoever you're paying money to, I guess, owns your house when you die? Mm. Or whoever's giving you money owns your house because they're paying the mortgage? It says a reverse mortgage is a mortgage loan usually secured by a residential property that enables the borrower to access the unencumbered. Okay, that's a big, big person word. That's a smart person word. The unencumbered value of the property. The loans are typically promoted to older homeowners. Yeah. 
So why older homeowners? I guess that's kind of what I want to know. I think probably because they have more time invested in their property. Like they've been paying their mortgage for 25 years already. Okay. It says a homeowner who is 62 or older and has considerable home equity can borrow against the value of their home and receive the funds as a lump sum or a line of credit. Okay. So it is only for old people. Yeah. Okay, so that's probably why we're like, what the fuck is a reverse mortgage? And then that's why it's been like, you know, siloed into daytime programming. And that's why they put Tom Selleck in that shit. They put him right on it. And it's like, basically, I mean, from what it sounds like, they, your home has earned equity. So when you die, then, and the house sells you have to pay back the loan first. But what if you die and you want to give your house to your kids or something? Yeah, then your like, kids wh- have to pay it back? Yeah, what if you die in one of these lawsuits from the other commercials that you watch in yeah. the morning and uh, then you're screwed, right? I mean, I'm I'm very confounded by the entire process, but nothing more than the fact that Tom Selleck is a spokesperson for it. Well... Okay, so it it just hit me at a moment where I'm like, I'm I'm old now. I'm this old now. But do you even think again? I'm gonna go back to this, and I don't know. I don't know if Tom Selleck himself is gonna like, you know, have something to say about it. But I'm like, do you even need the money, dude? Like you're on Blue Bloods. Like that's some CBS money. That ain't nothing. That's an actually. You want to talk about like old people? That's long running network money. If he doesn't need to be doing it, does he actually believe in it? Has he done it? Has he done a reverse mortgage? Like, it just brings up so many questions. Like, Wilford Brimley was the face of Quaker Oats and because it was part of his diabetes education thing where he's like, this will lower your, like, this is good for your diet. (laughs) Like, the Liberty Medical thing, he had a lot of fucking medical bills. It makes sense. Wilford Brimley's trajectory made sense to me. Right. Yeah, even though I got to say, Wilford Brimley could have been doing those Quaker Oats commercials while he was doing the thing. Yeah. Because he looked old as shit in the thing. <laughs> Don't even get me started on Cocoon and how they're supposed to be like, like half of those actors filmed it when they were in their 40s or 50s or something like that. Yeah. Well, I know. Here, here Okay, I wanted to, uh, going down this road, and this, uh, this I feel like, what this was even more shocking to me personally than anything that you just said was that, do you remember where you were when you first saw Tim Daly in the pneumococcal pneumonia commercials? Of course. Of course I do. Okay. That, to me... It was the day the heartthrob died. Oh, my God. Yeah. Me, too. Huge crush on Tim Daly. We, have we talked about wings? Like, how no. obsessed I was with wings when I was a child? Not We've surprising. It was, a, it was a show for middle-aged people, so it is not surprising that you were obsessed with it. <laughs> Okay, there was, there was a, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I like kids stuff once in a while, but for the most part, I did watch like Empty Nest and yeah. Wings when I was you know, 12. Yeah. This is why we're friends. It's totally fine. Exactly. We've, out, we've outlined this several times on this podcast, but um, Wings was, I, I was like, here are the two hottest dudes in America. I mean, not, I didn't even really know a lot of dudes at the time, to be honest. I just knew the ones that were on television. And I was like, he got like a rough around the edges party guy, and then you got the uptight older brother guy. And I loved the older brother guy. Like, of course I did. I'm an older sister. I gravitate towards people oh, like God. me. 
And I always like in every boy band and every group and every kind of cluster of men, I always gravitate towards the uptight one. Your favorite new kid was Jonathan Knight. That's true. Yes, exactly. It's like, I'm always that like, who's the older brother? Who's like feeling a little too old for this scenario? (laughs) And that's me. So I was, I was like, Tim Daly's my guy. Not for nothing, I saw him at the women's march, like one of the women's marches in <gasps> D.C. and was like blown away that he was he was there. I was like, Aww. that is our woke king. But then when I saw him in those vaccine commercials, I was like, he's doing the old people commercials now. Mm-hmm. What the fuck? He doesn't even look that old. Yeah, he's aged into it. That's what Hollywood does to people. They're like, we've been looking at you for 30 years. Whether you're old or not, you are now in the old person commercial category. Damn. I don't even think he's gray. Is he gray? He might be a little bit gray. But he's like he's not be. even like he doesn't look old to me at all. Yeah, he I think it's because he just is like he's he looks kind of like men's health magazine cover guy old. Like he doesn't, right. you know, he sort of looks like he's hovering between like 45 and maybe 57. Right. To me, which is not old by the way. Now at that all. we're the age we are, that ain't old. Um, so I'm a little, I'm a little shocked that he was in the commercials and I was like, yeah, you're right. There's like this pipeline and And I don't know. It's just based on like, if you were on TV in the eighties, you now qualify for the Wilford Brimley level commercial. (laughs) It's fucked. Is this like what men, famous men do? It's kind of like a, a reverse, um, a reverse grand dom guignol situation where it's like famous men just do like catheter commercials and everyone's like they're put out to pasture nobody wants to hire them anymore they're doing you know the fucking transvaginal mesh commercial (laughs) or (laughs) colonial pen like life insurance fucking coins oh my god a coin can can you imagine commemorative plates and coins like it's like that world they wish they could get a coin. That takes some... <laughs> you gotta be in that world. They don't just take anybody. They don't care how long you've been on TV. The commemorative coin you, folks? Uh-uh. Next thing you know, there's a profile of them in Parade Magazine, and you're like, Hell yeah. fuck! Hell, oh my god, that's always the killer! That's the true killer to me. Because Parade Magazine and I have a long relationship, and it goes back to me being 11 years old and sitting on the damn toilet, and you read the shitty fucking cartoons, and you read all the dumb jokes, and there's always a fucking spread about somebody who's like, I'm about to retire, and Parade Magazine just comes a-knocking. Oh, yeah. It's like they got radar for that shit. Oh, definitely. And then the next thing you know, somebody posts a picture of them online, and they're wearing sketchers without laces like slip slip into sketchers and you're like dude that guy is of my generation like that guy was <laughs> i had sexual feelings for that guy that's like my era and now he's wearing slip on sketcher shoes but this is this is a good lesson for us in terms of of anyone who consumes media. Like being a movie star is only one level. Like that is only one level that gets you security for only so long. And if you are like a Nicole Kidman, a Brad Pitt, like if you are that level, you can ride that out. Do you can do nothing for the rest of your life at this point and be f- completely fine in every way. 
But there is a sub tier of star, the former star and mm. the decade star, where they were popular in a very specific decade. And those folks are still hustling. Yeah. And they hustling hard. They've been through economic downturns. They've been their kids have been in college or are currently in college. They've right. got fucking grandkids in college, some of these folks. Mm-hmm. Like your grandkid isn't gonna understand I can't put you through school if they've been watching you on TV for 20 years. Yeah. There's a hustle. Jane yeah. Seymour is out here selling face cream. Jane, oh, you, yeah. were, you were Dr. Quinn medicine woman. The hell you doing out here hawking face cream? Yeah, when they have those like long infomercials that play on like, you know, when you watch like cable and then sometimes there's entire channels devoted to like weird infomercials. Mm -hmm. And then it's like a 45 minute long commercial for like the best of Yacht Rock on the <laughs> Time Life collection. And it's like, hey, I'm Jane Seymour and I'm sitting here with fucking Seals and Croft or whatever. <laughs> and we're here to get you to buy 12 CDs. Oh, good. I, I, I'm truly not kidding. She's hawking face cream. Look it up. Wow. Look it up. <laughs> she has some fucking cream. And guess who else is in that commercial? It's like Courtney Thorne Smith or... <gasps> From Melrose yeah. Place? From yes. Melrose Ah! From Melrose Place. That's a 90s show. I can't. This is what I fucking mean. Like, no. look this shit up. It is devastating to watch TV at this point in my life, to watch daytime TV. It's too much. Dude, are you... I swear to God, you're about to tell me something crazy. Like, you're about to be like, didn't you see uh, the kids from Pete and Pete, the adventures of Pete and Pete, <laughs> on those, like, Viagra... Cialis commercials like I'm just, you're about to blow my mind is that what you're about to do right now <laughs> I think I just did when you were screaming about Courtney Thorne Smith your mic went out <laughs> really? I think I just did I screamed so loud that it ruined our episode but I, um, I, but I think Pete and Pete doing Cialis would be an internet sensation <laughs> <laughs> not just a Danielle and Millie sensation well, and that's, I gotta tell you, like, early quarantine, early quarantine, I decided to watch Melrose Place. Like, for, like, I had watched maybe, like, a couple episodes, you know, when it was on, but I never, like, sat through and watched every single one. Actually, I did yeah. stop after, like, season four or five, because I couldn't take it anymore, <laughs> to be honest, but, but that's the thing, is that... Those shows, I mean, they're of our generation, but then they're also, like, sus suspended in time because yes. of, like, you know, binge-watching and, you know, that kind of stuff. So you're like, oh, the reality is is that they're qualifying for Social Security now. <laughs> and you don't know that because you just keep watching these episodes of them being fucking 29 years old. <laughs> oh, God. Case in point. And this is a thought that I had this week. Whatever happened to Costas Mandalore? Oh my god. Like, where do some of these guys go? Where do they go? And he had a brother who <laughs> oh my was in my god. He had a brother who was in my big fat Greek wedding. Where do they go? 
<laughs> is it? I, am I getting him confused with Marcus Schenkenberg? Is that his name? You better not be. They are very different people. <laughs> but they're Cost like hot guys. Hot 90s guys, right? I mean, you could put them in a category, but they are very different people. I mean, I feel like ethnically you're right about that, but I'm just saying. Now I got to look up. All right, he was in Picket on. Fences. Oh, somebody is like literally listening. Google is listening. It was the when I put in COS, it showed up. <laughs> Give me a fucking break, Google. Did not um, know he was Australian. Yes, I did not know that either. He's known for Saw. He was in the fifth Saw movie. <laughs> oh my God, no. <laughs> what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Okay, this is what I mean. Look at, I'm looking at his Wikipedia right now. Dude has not taken a break. Like, why have I not seen him? He has not taken a break. Dude, he has been in so much shit. Wow. He's why been was so I worried about him? Yeah, look at all these TBAs. Yeah. At the end of, of his filmography. Oh, yeah, he's working. I mean, I don't know what these what these are. Like these movies, Death Count. <laughs> you haven't seen Dr. Chopper? <laughs> we are watching Dr. Chopper for this fucking podcast. I don't care. It if Doc, if Doctor Chopper is not the prequel to Doctor Giggles, I Thank am you. gonna be fucking pissed. Thank you. But th these are the thoughts I have. Like, what happened to that dude who was everywhere on my TV in the nineties? <laughs> and now I'm looking at Marcus Schenkenberg. Mar I don't even think he was an actor. <laughs> he was a model, right? Okay, I have have completely. Oh, he was, it says actor, Swedish model, actor, singer, writer. See, you got to calm some of guy. that down. Um, definitely not. They, one guy is Swedish and the other guy is Greek by way of Australia. So yes, they're <laughs> different people for sure. What movies had, oh, his filmography on the other hand is very small. <laughs> one, two, three, four. He's been in like seven seven things one of them oh, no. is called meatballs and macaroni no it is not yeah i have i could not like the tell tiktok you. video <laughs> wasn't there a tiktok that's like Din -din macaroni <laughs> was that him has that been marcus Schenkenberg this whole time <laughs> i'll be fucking impressed if that dude pivoted to tiktok Okay, I want to read you this one sentence from his personal life section. I feel like, why why are we trifling about writing this? <laughs> Shagenberg lives in New York and Los Angeles and also has an apartment in Stockholm. Very fancy, very posh. Do we need to know that he had an apartment in a city? Like, come on, like an apartment. Well, if he owns it. <laughs> If he's got a reverse mortgage on it, <laughs> then it needs to go with Wikipedia. <laughs> Look, if we can get him and Tom Selleck together on a reverse mortgage in Stockholm, take this shit international? <laughs> Fuck yeah. I will say two more things about Tom Selleck. Do One, it. I did not know that he was in the army. Oh, yeah. Him and him, Wilford Brimley was in the military, too, so maybe that's another thing that they share. This is what I mean. And also the mustache. Like, it's the mustache that does a lot of the work for the Wilford Brimley connection now. It does. 
hundred percent. I see why you made the through line. They both have those mustaches and they're both very iconic. And if you if you look, go and look at Tom Selleck's Wikipedia picture right now. Tell me that's not Wilfie Brims. Yeah, he he's you know, he's he's got to basically let his gray go. And then he'll be exactly like Wilford Brimley. (laughs) (laughs) Put on a pair of overalls and he will be Wilford Brimley to a T. I'm just I find it shocking. And I wasn't ready for this information. I wasn't ready to let our 80s sex symbols become old people reverse mortgage commercial. Mm-hmm. And it shocked me. And I cannot tell you how many times I've seen that commercial. But for some reason, on like the 117th viewing, I was like, this motherfucker is Wilfie Brims. He's the new Wilfie Brims. Listen, this is a great theory to be floating out into the world. I think you're absolutely right. They're, they're following a trajectory. Both of them now are kind of grumpy, give it to you straight guys about this stuff too, which is like, okay, maybe it's time. It's time now. Wilford Brimley, Wilford Brimley from heaven is going to hold a, a canister of Quaker oats and he'll say, take take over from here. <laughs> And then Spread glasses, the joy. glasses will grow on his face. <laughs> Little round glasses will just grow on his face. It'll, it's like it's like a Santa Claus myth. Like this is how <laughs> it happens. Or I don't know if you saw this last season of What We Do in the Shadows. Uh uh-uh. oh. Oh shit! There is a whole thing about one of the characters growing into himself. I'll just say, and it's like that. It's like this character, this this dude never, he always comes back the same. He never dies. He never, Wilford Brimley never really dies. He passes the shit on. 25 years from now, you're watching The Price is Right. You've just retired. Who is in the commercials selling you a reverse mortgage? I'm going to Google... Who's the most famous 25-year-old? <laughs> <laughs> but this is the thing. It won't be them because they'll be in their prime. They'll be Brad Pitt in it. Mm. So you're saying somebody's got to be at least in their 30s? Somebody our age. Oh, our age. Okay, Who is going to be selling us things in 25 years? Who is going to be selling us reverse mortgages in 25 years? Or colonial pen insurance? Chris Pine. Chris Pine. <laughs> Here's why. <laughs> Here's why. He already has, like, the smoker's gruff. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like, Chris Pine is craggy hot, y'all. I don't know if you know that, but Chris Pine is fucking craggy hot. Always has been. Oh, when I saw the first Wonder Woman movie, I was like, this guy looks like he smokes, like, two packs a day. <laughs> and he's got to be my age or younger. So he's a, he's already, he looks like a 70s actor. And I'm just like, okay, well, this guy's already doing those commercials. Like, He's doing them. He's just the right look. But he's a star. It has to be. He's a star. William Shatner was a star, dude. Like, <laughs> but he's a movie star. <laughs> so you're telling me that movie star. Okay, maybe you're right about that. All these are TV stars. I love I love this answer a lot. I'm thinking okay. of like, who's the Tim Daly of our generation? Like, is it the dad from Twilight? I've, oh, yeah. You know what I mean? I, like, just famous yeah. enough to know who it is, but, like, not movie star. I don't even know that guy's name, though. That's the thing. I don't know. I don't know his name. He's so hot, and I don't know his name. And okay, I've so never seen it. 
the Tim Daly of our generation, like of, of our age. Is it Ooh. Mark Paul Gosselier? I mean, that could be it. I mean, he was a little bit more of a teeny bopper, though. That's like his, his, he was like a child star almost. But then he um, came back with, what was that show he did? Like Rizzoli and Isles? No, that was the ladies. Franklin and Bash. I've Thank talked you. about it. Yes. <laughs> I, I've seen, I've seen Franklin and Bash merch in my desolate office space at work. Um, I think it could be a Gosselier simply because he's got a face recognition. Yeah, that's and true. And he was a heartthrob. What, look, listen, what about your boy? Your fucking boy? What's What do you call him? The one you see at the coffee shop all the time? Your little Jojo? Jojo <laughs> dancer? <laughs> Jimmy What's Jams? Jimmy, Jimmy Jams and Terry Lewis? Yo, yo. It could, it could be Vanderbeek. It could be yeah. Vanderbeek. I'm saying. I see him all the time at my coffee shop when I went to LA, when I lived in L.A. Yeah. I can so see I, it. Come on. I he can see to. it. I can absolutely see it. I think that's the level of what I'm thinking is like, you're famous enough. We know your face. We're excited to see you in 25 years. Yeah. And then we're like, oh, damn, they're selling us catheters. Look, I mean, I, I sat there. I, I, I personally think Tom Selleck is being greedy. Uh, but you know, if this is, if this is the vibe, it's not do whatever you got to do to make that scratch. I'm just saying I will personally be taking cyanide pills because I will say I am too old. I am simply too old to live. All of the actors of my generation are now, you know, do hawk at all this old people stuff. They're wearing the sketchers without laces. And I just simply... Tell me what what is it? What is your beef with Skechers without laces? I just What's I'm just beef? saying. My dad was the one that told me that's the transitional shoe. The transitional shoe to what? To like old age. <laughs> he was like, I stopped wearing laces the minute those Skechers came in the door, which no. he bought at Kohl's. At Kohl's, okay. He's not wearing laces since. What? <laughs> this is revolutionary to me. What? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was like, once those Skechers came through, those like foamy, they're like foam sneakers with no, you just slide them on and somehow you don't get your heel stuck in the back. Like, it's like this weird technology that the Skechers brand came up with where it's like, oh, no, you don't have to struggle with like trying to wiggle your heel into them. They just slip in there. You don't have to tie any laces and they're a comfort orthopedic shoe i've seen these commercials yeah during the daytime because they're hawking the shit to pregnant ladies old people it's one of those commercials where somebody like tries to put on their shoe and then they grab their back and they're like ah yeah oh i was like why don't you just wear a fucking boat shoe wear a dock shoe that there's two holes there's two holes that's not too many to no he won't even wear those can i interest you in a slipper a sandal a birkenstock <laughs> Well, he does wear a lot of like he wears like recovery slides now because he's cool. What? He wears rec recovery slides. Recovery um, from what? It's been. <laughs> what the fuck? Your dad plays golf. Yeah, he slides into his Hoka recovery slides. But then when he wants to be like, he's like, I gotta go to dinner. He's wearing those uh, he's laceless <laughs> Skechers. Or when he goes to the casino, it's like. Let me put my dress shoes on. My <laughs> laceless 
Skechers. Cannot believe that you have not sent me a picture of this at any time in the past. You were just hanging out with your dad. <laughs> well, because it's like, I don't know how to feel about it, to be honest, because I'm like, yo, my dad's in that in this mode. You know, and it's all has- about age. It's all about us confronting death. Of course it is, but he has a whole spiel ready for it. He told you it was a transitional shoe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, uh, listen, old guys love to talk about that footwear. Make no mistake. They they're, they have opinions about shoes in a way that I never would have ever imagined. So you, they don't have to be sneakerheads. They can just be footheads. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. They're all about that foot, that arch support, everything. And let me also say... That this, in case you're wondering, listener, the transitional shoe, the slip-in sketcher, is a transit. The, the next step, the final step, the last pair of shoes you will own, Velcro romper stompers. <laughs> it's fucking coming for all of us. <laughs> romper stompers. A Velcro romper stomper. Are you talking about those extremely huge? two velcro strap yes. shoes that you could get at like you know sears or whatever yes but they have wow. like a, a a heel of varying thickness mm-hmm. and they are meant purely for sliding along the floor they're not meant for raising your feet wow it is your final pair of shoes it is a romper stomper do you think that tom Selleck is in those romper stompers I think he's in transitional shoe. I think he's in a slip-on. Okay. Or a croc. I can see him in a croc. Is a croc a transitional shoe? It it better not be because I have like four pairs of crocs. So (laughs) unless I'm I'm in denial about some shit. (laughs) I think crocs and dansko sandals are transitional shoes. Ooh. Then that's me to a fucking (laughs) team, dog. Because I was like, I love a Dansko clog and I love a I love a croc. I mean, but here's the thing about both of those. They can still be for working folks. I mean, there's right. a lot of like nurses and people in the food, food and beverage industry that wear those shoes. So you can still, you know, you're not retired yet sometimes. Right. But when it comes to slipping in. What I'm saying is they are a transitional shoe because you are old and concerned with your foot health now. Oh, 100%. I mean, that's. If, if you, like, when you move away from waiting tables in Converse and you mm-hmm. move towards a Dansko, towards an Allegria, and to- mm-hmm. to- towards any of these brands, shoe brands that are $120 or more, that's when suddenly you have a concern about you've got planner's fasciitis or a bunion <laughs> or something, and you are no longer young. Hate to tell hate to tell it babe it's just the way it is that foot ain't bouncing back you are transitioning to a velcro shoe soon <laughs> you're gonna get to a point where you think a slip-on sketcher is a cute shoe i see i i feel like i would be the last holdout for a sketcher but i've said a lot of things <laughs> in my life that i was like i'm never doing that shit man i didn't wear i didn't wear birkenstocks i had this like crazy i had this like crazy hatred of birkenstocks for years and it was entirely because of that jane's addiction video (gasps) where the guy throws the birkenstock on stage and perry farrell's like 
somebody throws a Birkenstock. Who threw a Birkenstock? And I was like, fuck those shoes. They're for hippies. I have heard so many reasons why people don't like Birkenstocks. That is the weirdest one. A hundred percent the weirdest one. Because Listen. a music video for I think it was for like the nothing shocking era, also yes. of Jane's addiction. That is wild. That's a wild confession. Listen, the creator of Lollapalooza didn't like Birkenstocks, was offended that someone threw one on stage during a Jane's addiction concert, and that's I literally didn't wear them for like 25 years. <gasps> up until out. now up until the last like five to eight years of my life i'm like yo them shits are comfortable do you remember that tan i had in la oh i remember fucking Birkenstocks, dude wear them all yeah. the time <laughs> i'm still wear them all the time oh my god i will i would i would also say i personally think that you would fred flintstone it before you went into a velcro romper stomper uh-uh yeah i would never do that i just i think you'd barefoot it yeah i mean <sighs> If I live another 25 years, I I feel like there will be, like, very little I will stick to, but I might stick to that. Because I just don't think they look... I can't make those cute. No, like, they're not supposed to be. The cute yeah. is over. That's that's what that shoe signals. Yeah. There is no more cuteness That's a bridge to too far, for sure. You are in a holiday sweater, an elastic waist pant, polyester pant which i think they just mail to you when you retire yeah. i don't i've yeah. never seen those pants for sale every single old person i know has has pair yeah. or, or two or three. Oh yeah oh yeah i think they just send them to you they're like welcome you cross the threshold to aarp and then you just yeah. get polyester elastic pants in the mail they're like we know that you are completely bogged down by the idea of having choices and now you will just receive pants in the mail and you'll get a food pill every day and wear <laughs> these slidey fucking ugly shoes and you'll love it you'll just simply love it Here, here's how you know the polyester elastic waist pant is unconscionable not a single generation has tried to make it cool. Not a single generation has been like, you know what I'm rocking today? A polyester elastic waist pant. Yeah, I feel like we talked about this in a very early episode. Like, no, no, like, hipster came through and is trying to take, like, deeply old clothes and making them. Exactly. You know, like, um, like what do you call those clothes. sweaters that have the doilies on them? <laughs> yes. Remember, we were like, yo, like, how come we don't see people in Melrose wearing fucking doily bib sweatshirts? <gasps> A doily bib sweatshirt with, like, those rose-colored plastic glasses. Yeah. That people, like, if you had, if you had parents who cared about your eyes, that's what you wore in fourth grade. Yeah. That and old people, they wore those glasses. Well... Listen, I think this we is covered bleak. a ton of ground. We ended it on the darkest note possible. This is bl some bleak shit. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying, Tom Selleck is the new Wilfy Brims. Getting old as hell. And there's a transitional shoe that I was unaware of. It's going to be one of those. Hey, Ooh, it's going to be look. one of those sodes. You a are classic going first. sode. 
<laughs> and I cannot wait. I cannot wait. Do you want to tell them what our theme is so that we can talk about your movie right away? Oh, fuck yeah. Um, our theme for this week, which was uh, created by Daniel Henderson, is Mom, I said to pick me up at 8 o'clock. These are movies about the mall. Right. M- movies about the mall that feature um, malls in classic scenes. Actually, actually, our movies were filmed at the same mall. Did you know that? No, I know. I looked it up. Yeah. A very famous mall called the Sherman Oaks Galleria in Sherman Oaks, California, it, where they shot a lot of amazing movies, right? Yeah. It's a kind of an extensive list if you ever, like, if you're listening to this at night and you're just scrolling on your phone, look it up. Yeah. It's like Valley Girl and Fast Times at Ridgemont High. It was like, it was the place in the 80s to shoot. Have we talked about this? You Have you worked in the mall before? Have we talked about this? Oh, yeah. I've definitely worked in the mall. I worked at a Gloria Jean's in the mall. Oh, okay. <laughs> when I first moved uh, to California when I was 19. Yeah. And I'm like, that's, I live close to the mall. I could skateboard there. That's where I'm working. What was the name? So what is the name of your favorite mall? Like your mall? If you were, you know. Here's the thing. When I was growing up, our mall was the Orange Plaza, right? Because my town okay. is in Orange County, mm-hmm. New York. And Orange Plaza was your typical brown and orange affair. Mm-hmm. Then, by stroke of pure luck, a new mall opened down the street in that town. Same town, new mm-hmm. mall. And it was called the Galleria. Oh, wow. And it was in, just in time for me to be in high school and have friends who could drive. Mm-hmm. And we had a brand new fucking mall at our disposal. Wow. Shit was popping. So that's what I think of. When I think of a mall, I think of <laughs> first Orange Plaza, rest in peace, Queen. Yes. Which is now a dirt mall. It, it turned into like a dirt mall and then it was a flea market. And now it's like a series of shops, like a Chipotle and a Bed Bath & Beyond kind of situation. Yeah. Um, but the gallery is still hopping. Yeah. You're lucky because a lot of malls are not cool anymore there there's a lot of shitball malls um, yeah especially around here where i live um which there are times i secretly love it not gonna lie yeah sometimes they have like one store you're like oh remember that one store and then you go Mm -hmm. in there and it's like everything else is haunted as fuck but then you're like but they got an h&m what how is this possible you know but every other store has a gate in front of it like dark inside oh yeah or it's like your uncle's furniture business. Uncle's liquidation furniture business. Exactly. He's like, I just picked all this stuff off of a truck and I now I I rented some mall space and I sell it here. And bamboo. So. Okay, well, when, well, this is how, I want to ask, how important was the mall to you? Mm. And when was the last time you've been to one? The mall, extremely important to me. Like, extremely, like, identity, everything. Uh, my my childhood mall, like, elementary school-ish, was Woodfield Mall 
in uh, right outside of Chicago. That was my mall. They had an ice skating rink. I, I took ice skating lessons there. Then when I was a teenager, it was Town Center Mall uh, in, uh, you know, North Atlanta, a.k.a. Marietta, Georgia. Mm. Um, that's where, like, I, I think I've talked about how I uh, this was a, a mall where you could still smoke. And so all the yep. teenagers would smoke in the mall. Um, and I worked there, too. I worked at the <laughs> survey place. I, I don't know if I've ever talked about that job. I held, I held that job actually in two different malls. I worked at, I worked at, at the survey place in town center in high school. And then after I graduated college, I went back and worked at a survey place in a different mall. <laughs> <laughs> Look, that's where you get the most foot traffic. I don't blame you. <laughs> oh yeah. And like, you know, those, I'm going to tell you a secret right now. And maybe, maybe the, the, these businesses don't want to hear this, but it's been so long since I worked there. Uh, those surveys are being taken by like 14 year old people and their friends and they're coming up with fake names and phone numbers <laughs> and they're just, oh, they're God. just trying to get five bucks or like a gift certificate to like Bahama breeze. They don't give a shit about your products. So <laughs> this the, the better whole, not be your only way of collecting information. Oh, I know. I mean, Listen, the reason why Clamato is on our shelves is because I guarantee me and like 10 of my friends were doing surveys to be like, oh, yeah, extremely interested. Would definitely buy. <laughs> I'm like, oh, fill God. this out. Here's your five bucks. And that was it. So, um, oh, my God. But yeah, those th- extremely important. And um, what was your other question? <laughs> when was the last time you've been to a mall? Oh, I went to a mall like two weeks ago. Um, <gasps> nice. Because I had to return some clothes, and uh, I went to a fancy mall here in Atlanta, Ooh. and um, it was dead. It was desolate, <gasps> and I was like, "Wow!" Like it's a fancy mall, you know, a mall that has like high end shit. So it was like, like they have um, a gimbals. They have like Tom Ford, and Ooh, oh, um, you know, like a, there's a Nordstrom there. There's um, now I don't know what else, but it was like. It's kind of the thing where it's like a shitball mall and a really high-end mall are both desolate. Yep. Because it's like nobody can fucking afford to shop at the Tom Ford mall. And then like nobody wants to go to the Uncle's Furniture Liquidation Mall. So they share they share a commonality, weirdly enough. And it's a weird, it's a weird, sad history because malls take up so much space and in so many towns they're just empty and useless. Yeah. And it's a sign of like a declining, there's a certain kind of declining that it's a sign of, but it's yeah. also a sign of like greed and space. And I don't know, it just, it brings up a lot of weird feelings for me to see a mall, especially yeah. an empty one. Oh, I totally agree. And I just, because it felt like such the center of socialization for when, like before you had a car, it was yeah. just like you get dropped off at a mall and it's like, you're likely to see all your friends there. You're going to see your crushes there, mm-hmm. you know? And like, that's just where you spend a lot of time. And so I don't know, in a weird way, I'm like, well, then where do the kids go? If this, if this mall, I was like, they don't even fucking go shopping like that anymore. You know, <laughs> where do the kids go? Um, the kids are making a million dollars a year as Instagram influencers. Exactly. They are fine. <laughs> the kids they are not going to Macy's or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Their social network includes actual celebrities. <laughs> they are fine. Sad. I know though. It's like it is it was just such a hub, a hub of so many things. And 
it really was the center of our universe, yeah. especially in the 80s and, and early 90s. And it was, I don't know, it was a very special, weird place where you were forced to be around all walks of life. Yeah. If you wanted to go and buy a cassette or a CD, you had to suffer through them all. Yeah. And and I got to tell you, with these two movies that we picked this week, your movie in 84, my movie in 85, at the same damn mall, this, you couldn't have found... I mean, this is probably like the absolute era in the absolute place. Like, it's just like the finest example of the power of a mall ever. Truly. I'm so excited. I'm so excited that we each picked our movies and I cannot wait to talk about yours. Oh, my God. I cannot wait to talk about yours. I mean, honestly, this is going to be a fun one. As you heard, we're, we're on one. So... Strap the fuck in. Don't promise them shit. Do not promise them shit, because I'll tell you right now, me talking about my movie is going to sound like I'm having a stroke. <laughs> Strap the fuck in. Um, Strap. Okay. Let's let's get into it then. I'm going first. So my movie for the theme, Mom, I said to pick me up at eight o'clock. Is a movie from 1985. It was written by Stephen E. D'Souza, directed by Mark L. Lester, and it's called Commando. Remember, Sally, when I promised to kill you last? That's what made you think you did. I lied. I, I am just going to start out by saying this movie should have been called White Man Convinces a Black Woman to Do Crimes. And they have no romance. No romance, just crimes. Just crimes. We got to talk a lot about Ray Donchon. <laughs> like in this movie, oh my God, her character is absolutely essential. Absolutely fucking essential. I've talked about this movie before, actually. Remember when we, remember when we did our bonus episodes? Okay. It was very early on. We did an entire bonus episode of our favorite action films. And um, oh I think I revealed that I did not actually see this movie when I was a child. No. And TBH, I hadn't seen a lot of that kind of classic 80s action because that's our childhood, right? Like yeah. every every boy in our school was obsessed with like Predator and Commando and The Terminator. It was just like this big action movie era. And the funny thing is, is that I had always heard that Commando was great, like, how could I have not seen it, despite the fact that I've loved Terminator 2 since it came out? And I'm a huge fan. I, I gotta say, I'm a huge fan of pre-Governator Arnold. We've mm. talked about this as well. So, oh God, how can you not see Commando? It's like his best. So at some point a few years ago, I did rectify the situation and I went, I went on a date with someone and we watched it together. And... While the date did not ultimately work out, this movie did, thankfully. Because this shit is fun as shit. There's so many things to love about Commando. Oh, oh my God. God. It's, it's so a, good. It's so good. It's First of all, it's directed by Mark Lester. Like, Mark L. Lester, he's made some of the craziest movies that I love. He made fucking Roller Boogie. He made Class of 1984. He made Stunts, an incredible film that Robert Forrester was in. 
And he packs a lot into Commando. I mean, it's like all killer, no filler. It's never boring. And then you've got great actors in it. So you've got obviously like Arnold, but then you've got like Ray Don Chong and Vernon Wells and Bill Duke and our hirsute king, Dan Hedaya. You have you know? well-known actors playing absolutely bonkers parts. Yes, a hundred percent. But ha- I will, having said any of this just now, this movie is a showcase for Arnold Schwarzenegger, plain and simple. Like, and I'm going to say this honestly, without a horny bone in me, I promise you. But the ways in which Arnold was objectified in this film without one deflection to humor or like self-facement is a fucking joy. Oh, the male gaze is strong in this movie. Yes. I mean, think about it, folks. I mean, you don't see that often at all. And I think that we have sort of touched upon the subject in previous episodes. It's that whole like, there's like action movies and like, anytime there's like you know muscular dudes with no shirts on in movies these days their movies are way too self-conscious they don't pull this kind of shit that you see in commando okay it's always like even in a movie like magic mike channing tatum to me is probably like one of the most (laughs) currently objectified men in film but he's like funny too yeah. He's funny and he cracks jokes and he's like, you know, self-effacing like he he like, r- you know, ribs himself. And I'm just like, that's not Arnold in Commando at all. He tries to make jokes, but it's never at his own expense. Right. No, he he's not telling you, I know I'm hot and I know I'm sweating and I know I'm muscular. Don't be afraid of that. Just like I'm going to show you I'm a normal guy, but I'm also no. this like mythical beast. Exactly. He's like, no, I'm just a straight up mythical beast. And you will like watching it. (laughs) Oh, Lord. And and this is Arnold, I swear to God, classic era Arnold. He was right off the first Terminator movie. It is flat top Arnold with his uncapped teeth. And he's still like in full body builder mode. He's like huge. And... I'm telling you, this entire script is designed to show how strong he is and how good he is at killing people and how he is a mythical creature. It's an, it's incredible. They come out of the gate with it where the first time you really see him, he's carrying a tree down the side of a mountain. Yes. <laughs> Just straight up carrying a tree yes, down the I, side of a mountain. Within five minutes of this film being on... There's a a really tight close up of his bicep, mm-hmm. and it's just sweating. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine? And it's not. There's no joke. It's just literally like, here's my sweaty, sweaty, flexed <laughs> bicep. Oh god, the man! The man rips through an airplane in this movie. He takes a car seat out of a car. Like, you are absolutely correct that this is just about showcasing his whole steez. Yes. Like, I don't even have a one-sentence synopsis. I'm just going to tell you, like, the basic premise, and then we're just going to go, we're just going to hit it as hard as possible. Okay? Valid. The basic premise of Commando is that <laughs> Arnold 
plays the retired army or like special forces guy and his name is john matrix i mean we i cannot get over this name it, it's like a chev chelios situation <laughs> john matrix okay <laughs> he he's retired he's like living with his young daughter who is played by Alyssa milano right jenny matrix jenny matrix is her name jenny matrix they're living in the mountains where they have this very peaceful bucolic lifestyle in the opening credits they're like feeding a deer out of their hands and they're like learning martial arts and it's this whole like we're having a lot of quality daddy-daughter time. It's no idea if there's a mom or where the mom is. It's just the two of them. <laughs> Never mentioned. Never mentioned. Hanging out. Alyssa Milano has a very sensible, like, older woman's haircut. And there are times if you're not, like, if you're just kind of like, if you're looking at your phone and then you accidentally look up or something, you will be like, is that his actual wife? Like, no, that's his 12-year-old daughter. Okay. I wanted to raise this point because... In this opening, in the beginning, there is a point where she makes him a meal. And the way that she brings it to the table, you're like, this is very wifely. This is like a very wife-husband behavior. This is not dad-daughter behavior. And it's part of, like, what she's saying, but also just, like, how they're acting. Yes. And then they, like, kiss on the lips at one point. She's straight up just like, oh, what's going on in the news? And, like, giving him, like, a fully plattered plate with, like, it looks like a restaurant plate with like tomatoes on the side and stacked on a bed of lettuce. And I'm like, sincerely? <laughs> so it's like, it's very bizarre. It's a weird um, vibe. It's a weird it's a, vibe. It's a weird vibe. Okay. So of course, suddenly a helicopter shows up in the middle of all of this. Okay. As as it happens in their in the in the life of the Matrix is anything can happen, including a fucking full on helicopter that just shows up to their house. As it turns out, it's John Matrix's former boss in the military who's like he's literally like gets out of the helicopter and says, "Listen, some bad guys that you shut down back in the day are back, and they are out here killing all your former buddies at their civilian jobs, and they might be coming after you." Okay, so here's the thing. The supervisor gets out of the helicopter, is, tells him this fact, leaves him two army guys to watch over them. And the minute he leaves, some bad guy just pops out of the bushes, kills the dudes. Kills the dudes who were who literally just got off the helicopter to protect. But not before Arnold gets a chance to tell one of them that he smelled them coming. Yes. <laughs> Yes. And like admonishing this dude. He's like, you didn't smell them coming. Like your death is on you, bro. Yes. He's got, he's some, he's like the best soldier that ever was. He's like the Dalton of special forces guys. So like, we cannot believe he retired. I mean, he's, he's the best to have ever done it. He smelled people. He smelled (laughs) people coming from a helicopter through the mountains. So these these bad guys pop out of the bushes immediately, kill the two guys, and then kidnap Jenny Matrix, okay? John Matrix comes down the mountain to chase them. Then he ends up getting shot by a tranquilizer dart by his <laughs> former army buddy, 
turned mega baddie, a guy named Bennett. He is played by Vernon Wells of the Mad Max movies of Weird Science. You definitely know him, right? (laughs) And a lot has been said about this Bennett character over the years. And a lot have questioned whether or not this Bennett character was gay. Because he's essentially wearing what we would now consider maybe gay fetish gear. Like... uh, The chainmail? Chainmail, actually... I, this chainmail vest that he's wearing is made of rope. And I was watching this documentary very recently about the international mail catalog. And there was a, a piece of clothing in that catalog that was that exact same vest that he's wearing. And it, I found out it was called a stoker. So damn, I know I was like, yo, this is a, this is a real weird top for this guy to be wearing. And he's got like a, a a chain lock around his neck. He's got a huge mustache. I mean, it's like a bandana. Yeah. A bandana he, around his neck. He's there's he's, lots of queer coding happening. Yeah, definitely. But it's, it's very fascinating um, to just kind of think about while you're watching this film. So John matrix has been tranquilized And then he finds out the whole reason that this is all happening was that the former dictator of this country called Val Verde, the dictator is played by Dan Hedaya, as I mentioned at the open. Apparently, at some point, he was ousted by Matrix's squadron, and then now he wants his job back. And so he wants John Matrix to go to Val Verde to get rid of the current president so that he could be the dictator again or something. (laughs) And oust, oust this guy for me, please. Exactly. So then here's what happens. They force John Matrix to get on an airplane of El Verde, okay? And they and they put a th- uh, one of their thugs on to monitor him. Uh, and, and they get on this airplane. They sit in their seats, which they don't give John Matrix the window seat. And I was like, why did they not do that? Because he can just easily get up and escape because he can smell people coming up a mountain. Because they didn't know a man could rip through a plane. Well, <laughs> that's exactly what happens. Okay. First of all, they're still boarding. They're in the <laughs> boarding process. And John Matrix kills the guy, cracks his neck. Nobody in first class hears it or sees it. And then Matrix literally rips open portions of the plane to try to get to the wheels as the plane is taking off. It's in the air. And then he jumps off the plane from the wheels. Just right into like a lagoon. Right into a lagoon. Then what does he do? He heads back to the airport and is like, he synchronizes his watch and he realizes, okay, I got 11 hours till I'm supposed to be in Valverde. And so as long as I can get this shit done in 11 hours, then they'll never know. I was never on the plane. Okay. So anyway, fast forward to the airport scene, because this is the part where he actually meets right on. Okay. The other thug that dropped him off is uh, uh, some guy named Sully. He's played by David Patrick Kelly, and he's from the Warriors and Twin Peaks. He's a fucking creep in this movie. So creepy. He sees the, it, we get the introduction to Ray Don Chong. Okay. She's a flight attendant. She's on the phone, presumably just after one of her work shifts. And this guy starts hitting on her while she's talking on the phone. This great creeper. Rude as shit. Then he follows her to the car in the parking deck. 
hits on her some more, calls her a whore, walks away. And then when he leaves, suddenly John Matrix pops up and is like, get in the car, follow that man. And she's like, are y'all working together? Like, what? am I being assaulted twice in um, the same minute? Oh, but don't worry. I'm going to rip the seat out of your car so I can sit two inches lower than I normally would. Yes, he. this guy is ripping car parts, ripping airplane parts. That's how strong he is. It was unnecessary for him to do that. Like, it did not help how... He, when he was sitting down on the... Uh, his, uh, on ostensibly what was the floor of the car, his right. head was still fully visible above oh, yeah. the fucking car door. It, it gave him maybe an inch and a half tops. There was no no real comfort in, in that move. And you know what? Despite the fact that Radon is like fucking terrified about all of this shit that's happened, she's a great part of this film. I think she's essential yeah. to this film. She's got all the jokes, all the brains. We love to see it, of course. So... What happens? They start heading towards the Sherman Oaks Galleria. And this mall scene is incredible for so many reasons. I mean, first of all, the Galleria is in full 80s mode. There's like all the old store logos and there's like that weird giant balloon stick (laughs) art shit in the rafters. I don't know what this is. It's like a pew 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 like laser balloon decor (laughs) and it's fucking packed it's packed okay so they walk into the mall john matrix and radon and they're like and and john matrix tells her in very simple terms it's like he just says i need you to talk to that guy who called you a whore in the parking deck because he kidnapped my daughter so what has to happen is that you got to go over to the Bennigans or wherever he just walked into. You got to try to put the moves on him and then bring him over here so I can tell, so I can make him tell me where my kid is and then fucking murder him in front of all these people. Like, that's the plan, right? And then, of course, that plan immediately goes to shit because the David Patrick Kelly guy finds out what the fuck is going on. He runs to a phone booth to call his boss in Valverde or whatever. And then John Matrix literally goes apeshit. Like he jumps <laughs> from another level down to where Sully is using the phone and then he rips the phone booth out of the foundation. <laughs> the entire phone booth came off of the fucking foundation. <laughs> and I'm like, this guy is a mythical beast. I mean, who in the fuck is doing this shit? And like, oh it's, it's pure pandemonium in the Galleria. Everyone's screaming and running. The mall, There's like a hundred mall cops. They're all getting shot dead. There's cops falling down the stairs. I mean, it's wild. And then at some point, John Matrix swings from one of the little balloon, those little pew, pew, pew balloons. He swings from like the top deck in onto a moving elevator. And then he gets hit by a car in the parking deck. I'm like, what the fuck? And then, hit, like, eventually he gets to the car with Radon. They get into another high-speed chase. It ends in a double car crash. <laughs> Matrix completely unharmed. And then he grabs Sully out of his car, holds him over the side of a cliff, Suge Knight style. And he's so fucking strong, he's only holding the guy with one arm. I'm like, this guy is 
on some serious roids. I don't know what, <laughs> how he's this strong. But listen, so you have this epic mall scene, and then the other most memorable scene in the film comes up very shortly after this, okay? So John Matrix and Radon go to a motel, okay? The king, Bill Duke, another baddie, another Val Verde baddie, he's posted up at this motel. So you know that he and Arnold are getting into a brawl, okay? Arnold throws him through a door into the next room where there are two random people having sex. Okay. And I've deba- I have debated this with several people, including our guests from last week, Pete and Scotty, on their podcast. I'm pretty sure the woman is pegging the guy. She's pegging him. Okay. When he busts open that door, she is behind the dude. Okay. Thank Which you. doesn't necessarily have to mean that, but it means that. I... It would be legendary if true. I don't know if anybody's gotten like hard confirmation that that's exactly what's happening. But in my <laughs> mind, I really want that to be happening. Do this you? This is why I, I don't buy any accidental queerness in this movie. Like they're too bold. They're too provocative. But just imagine crashing into another person's hotel room and there's a, a woman pegging a guy. I mean, that's just like fucking, that's like chaos of the best order ever. Like, I'm just like, this is incredible. And it's, and it's funny, too, because Radon's, like, crouching in the corner while all of this is happening. And she's and she says, like, some of the funniest lines. Like, she basically is like, I can't believe this macho bullshit and that the, these guys eat too much red meat. <laughs> Which, Amazing. I mean, like, that was a, <laughs> that was a very um, astute 80s observation is that red meat was causing all of this, um, you know hyper testosterone happening all around her um and i gotta tell you that if that's the problem that is that's the problem because the rest of this film arnold is continuing his feats of superhuman strength he's flipping fucking cars he's pulling giant chain locks apart with his bare hands he's driving excavators through buildings at one point they break into this like army navy store and they do this like toys r us fun run grab where they're just like taking all this like military grade weapons shit and equipment i mean i'm lucky that i didn't see this in 85 because i swear <laughs> it, and i'm lucky i wasn't a 12 year old boy in 85 because i swear to god i thought i think my head would have exploded if it were me you know oh god, watching this scene. scene of like them just grabbing weapons <laughs> The way this movie flows, it definitely is, like, meant to be reenacted on a playground. Oh, 100%. I mean, Radon accidentally fires a rocket launcher in the wrong direction, and she blows up a fucking building. She ends up flying a plane that she doesn't know how to fly. She is getting her pilot's license. Right, but she doesn't fly the, what is it? She doesn't fly Cessnas or whatever. It's like this weird, she's like, this is the only plane I don't fly. And of course, like, it's harrowing, but she makes it because she's essential to the film. There's also this, like, really epic scene where Arnold jumps out of the seaplane and he canoes to the island where, like, the 
you know, Dan Hedaya character's evil, evil lair is. And he's wearing these, like, black swimming briefs. And then he weapons up. Like, he, he's, he's, like, basically naked, canoeing. He gets to the shore, pulls all of his weapons out of the canoe, and then he starts putting... It's like this scene where he's putting on those, like, tactical gear and, like, camel makeup, and there's, like, smoke and jungle. And it's, like... There's this, like, free jazz saxophone that's been wailing literally the entire film. <laughs> And it just kicks into high gear. And it's just this like ridiculous straight guy camp moment. You know what I'm saying? Like Absolutely. it's so over the top. And it's this is the entire film. The entire film is basically like, look how strong Arnold Schwarzenegger is. Let's watch him kill as many people as possible. And that and that's and Radon is there to provide <laughs> levity. At certain points. Dan Hedaya is doing an accent mm. from I don't know where. H- hard to say. Yeah. I could not figure that out at all. Yeah. But he, why? I mean, I guess they made up Valverde. He could have just been Dan Hedaya. Yeah. It's true. That was uh, a choice. It was a choice. Yeah. It's a very 80s choice. Commando is straight guy camp. It's also gay guy camp. I mean, it's everything. It's everything to all people. And honestly, it's so fun. It's so 80s. I mean, like I said, it, it's really like, it really just packs a quick little punch. Incredible mall scene. And, yep. you know, I don't know. I mean, again, I watched this later in life and now I'm regretting it because I think that if I was watching this as a child, I probably would have maybe have been a different person. Who knows? It was pretty dope. I saw it as a child and um, not when it first came out. Like I was seven when it first came out. I probably saw it when I was like 10 or 11. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were definite reenactments. There was a lot of jumping off of things into piles of leaves, <laughs> pretending that you were John Matrix. Yeah. This was like, like for me, like it felt like such a good classic Arnold role. Yeah. So. Great choice. Great mall scene. Oh, Great. I mean, I loved it. I loved revisiting this time. I also loved revisiting my film. Oh, of course. So my movie was released in 1984. Uh, the screenplay is by Tom Eberhardt, and it was also directed by Tom Eberhardt. And my movie is Night of the Comet. Hey, I'm sorry if the end of the world makes me a little nervous. So I'm going to give you a one-sentence synopsis. My one-sentence synopsis is, Two valley girls try to survive after a comet turns almost everyone on planet Earth into piles of red dust, but inexplicably turns some people into zombies. <laughs> now, you mentioned this, uh, this movie during the Miracle Mile episode. Yeah. Now, this is an old standard for me, like an old yeah. favorite. And it's one of those movies where I never knew the name of it for a while. Like, I always caught the end of it or caught certain parts of it, and I never knew the, the name of it for a while. And then one day I saw it from the beginning, and I was like, holy shit. Yeah. But it is a standard. And this movie is... It is not good, but it is fun. Yeah. It is a bad, fun movie. Um, and this movie is also two stories. So in one story, you have two valley girls trying to survive the apocalypse. And in the other story, you have a bunch of scientists deciding if they want to help anyone who survived the apocalypse. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's a very strange, like, watching these scientists scientists fight over whether or not they should, like, save the only people left on Earth. 
and have him like come down to their bunker. Um, But first and foremost, there's a comet coming and it's a fucking party. Like all of planet Earth, especially (laughs) in L.A. and downtown L.A. It is a goddamn scene. Like people are holding up signs. It's like a tailgate party for a comet. Oh, my God. That... I forgot, I have not seen this movie in ages, and I forgot how fucking funny it is at the very beginning of the movie where it's that voiceover that's like, sounds like a scientist type guy that's like explaining the comet, and then it immediately cuts to these like stupid people <laughs> in like Times Square that are like, comet fever, baby! Like, it's so funny. And this is what's also like weird and frustrating about the movie because it's that part is absolutely hilarious. But there's this whole voiceover about like the visitor has been here before and hasn't been back for 65,000 years and blah, blah, blah. And then you never hear anything about it again. (laughs) Never hear anything about it again for the rest of the movie. You're like, okay, this comet is probably tied to this visitor thing, but like, who knows? Because we never hear about it again. <laughs> so there's these these two valley girls that are sisters. Could not buy two people being sisters less. Like, I could oh. not. They, there's no way in the course of human history that anyone is related in this sister pairing. <laughs> so you have Regina. And Regina... <laughs> played by Catherine Mary Stewart Mm. and she works at a movie theater and she's obsessed with video games and she also within like 10 minutes of the movie starting protests and then negotiates fucking the projectionist who looks like a lumberjack yeah (laughs) and his name is Larry and he's played by Michael Bowen a young Michael Bowen wow And this is the only reason she survives this comet is because she's inside the projectionist booth fucking this lumberjack guy. Then you have her sister, Samantha. And Samantha dresses like a French fry dipped in ketchup. (laughs) She gets punched in the face by her very evil stepmother. Their dad is like an army guy or he's like a military guy who's just gone. Yeah. And they're left with this horrible stepmother who's like fucking everyone in the neighborhood and like hates them. But other than that, Samantha's generally unbothered. Yeah. Like, there's not much getting to Samantha. So then the comet happens, and we see the evil stepmother out in this, like, block party looking up, and the sky turns red. And then the next time you see those people, they are piles of clothes on the street next to piles of red dust that used to be people. And not even the dogs survive. Like, there are dog collars out there. Like, nothing has survived. You were outside while this comet was happening. You died. Yeah. No explanation for how. Was it in the trail of dust for the comet? I don't know. Did they drop something? I don't know. Did the visitor come down and chomp them all? I don't know. And you will never know because they never revisit this. (laughs) But both Regina and Sam survived because they were inside. So Sam, because she got in a fight with her stepmother, spent the night in the lawn shed. And Regina was in the projection booth. So Regina comes home And there's this scene where she leaves the theater, and it's the El Rey Theater, which is a pretty famous theater in um, L.A., and I looked Mm -hmm. it up. Not only is it still hopping, guess who's playing pretty soon? Toadies and Reverend Horton Heat. Fuck yeah! (laughs) Sounds like my jam. So she comes out of the El Rey and is completely unfazed by the piles of clothes and dust everywhere. 
everywhere. And then she has to go around to the back of the building because she locks herself out and Larry was supposed to leave, but his keys are there. And that's where we see our first zombie. I'm saying zombie because I don't know what it is, but it's like an undead or half dead person Mm -hmm. with big old cuts in their face who's trying to like kill her. Right. Um, She does get away somehow because weirdly in the middle of the fight, she like throws the keys to the motorcycle that Larry drives at the motorcycle and I'm like, why are you throwing these keys? She's like, I just want you to be closer. You guys yeah. should be together. <laughs> just in case. <laughs> so then she goes back home, meets up with her sister. She's like, the world is fucking ended. Have you not noticed? And her sister's like, meh. And she keeps like pouring a bowl of cereal. Like, maybe. I don't know. And they decide to go to a radio station because, one, it's the 80s. And two, it's still broadcasting. So they're like, there's got to be people alive there. Mm-hmm. No one is there. It's a looped tape. But at least they meet Hector. And Hector Mm. is the weirdest person you would ever want to be caught dead with at the end of the earth. (laughs) Hector is a weirdo. He pulls a gun on them right away. Then he starts talking. Like, he's just an absolute weirdo. But of course, because he's the last dude on earth, Regina starts flirting with him. And Samantha's just straight up DJing. She's like, I'm just going to be pressing buttons and pulling levers. And then she gets a call on the broadcast phone for the radio station from some people in the desert like when i say she's unbothered she does not it's the end of the fucking world and she does not even care that the phone rang and some and somebody was like talking to her she's like i don't know some people in the desert so hector in the in the middle of this decides to go to san diego to make like super sure that his family is dead and say the weirdest lines ever committed to screen. So he's in San Diego. He's at his mom's house. She's dead, presumably. Yeah. And then this kid breaks in and he just starts spouting the lamest lines. He's like, you're lucky I like kids. And then the kid like chases him out of a window and he's like, there goes the neighborhood. And I'm like, Hector, what is the point of you? <laughs> Hector. I mean, he he theoretically is like... Uh, you know, the the only man left yeah. or something. You know, they keep floating that idea around a lot in this movie. And honestly, I think Robert Beltran, the actor who plays Hector, is hot. I, I think he... I th- This movie, weirdly, is like this bridge between, like, eating Raul and chopping mall like there's so many like <laughs> shared actors and like mary wardolph's in this movie you know and she and robert beltran were in eating raul and i that's what i saw him for the first time and was like yo he's hot so in this movie i was like they're they're kind of like both the sisters are like do we think he's hot because we might have to have babies with him to yeah. continue the human race so let's yeah. figure that out you know it's so wild, but they're, like, trying to negotiate this. And he's like, I'm going to San Diego. Be right back. And you're like, okay. <laughs> they both yeah. want to repopulate the earth with you. You get that, right? Yeah. <laughs> but then, so Samantha finds out. She, Samantha has a little rash, but it's, you know, she's like, it's probably just stress. It's no big deal. Mm-hmm. And then it's time for the mall. So while they're killing time, waiting for Hector to come back, they go to the mall and it's an 80s fucking shopping spree. And it is like a girls just want to have fun style song. And they're trying on outfits and they're coming down the stairs in their fucking coats and their jewels. And they're having a goddamn blast. It is the most, I think it's part of the reason I chose this for a mall movie is because it stood out to me 
even as a kid, is like one of the most memorable mall scenes because what happens next is unhinged. This is an unhinged scene. Yeah. So you figure out they're not alone in this mall. Um, There's a guy named Willie who comes on over the uh, speakers. And let me tell you, creeps will always survive. Creeps are like roaches. These Mm. creeps absolutely survived. And they are kind of like the leaders of the mall now. And what's weird about Willie is though, even though he's a total creep, he's wearing like a salon smock. Mm. So it just kind of takes all the teeth out of anything he says. Yeah. And then he like, he's kind of pretending to be nuts. Like he shoots his own guy and she's like, you're crazy. And he's like, I'm not crazy. I just don't give a fuck. Like he's trying too hard to kind of be that bad guy. And he's also half zombie. Yeah, that is very unclear. (laughs) Inexplicable. (laughs) Never discussed. He's wearing uh, sunglasses the whole time and he takes them off and she's like, oh, you're one of those. And he's like, yep. And that's it. Yeah, it's very bizarre. I think they're called the Stock Boys or the Evil Stock Boys or something like that. They're like this group of like punk looking dudes that are in this store. I had to actually do a double take because I actually thought that Willie was played by Jello Biafra from the (laughs) Dead Kennedys. But then I was like, (laughs) okay, that's him. And then, yeah, I guess guess it's a different actor. But I was like, this guy is weird as shit. He definitely looks like he's in an 80s punk band. But then he's, how is he a half zombie? I don't understand how this works. It is literally never explained. It is, and they were apparently inside because they survived the comet. Right. But they were inside and still got kind of turned a little bit. I wish somebody took a moment to just say, hey, guess what? We need to explain this at some point in this movie. Listen, we've talked about this because, you know, a lot, you you are famously very into science fiction and have, you know, you understand the rules of science fiction. And I, I always have a lot of questions for you. So in this movie, there are like no rules to any of this shit. And it's None. like, yeah. So as a, I mean, in your world, is this like unforgivable? You like, you have to give something, right? It's absolutely unforgivable because now I'm focused on what the fuck is happening to make yeah. these people turn yeah. And is this going to come back at some point in the story? Right. And it never is. <laughs> it kind of, I mean, it kind of is at the end. And trust me, I am going to spoil this movie because it is bad. <laughs> it is a bad movie. So they're in this fucking mall and then the scientists are like, yeah, I guess we'll save them. And they're like, where would two girls go who have nothing to do? And they decide, like, they figure out that they're at the mall and they go in and save them, and it's a whole fucking thing. And then they mm. they split the girls up. Um, they take Regina away with them on this helicopter, and they leave Sam at the mall with one of the scientists, and they're going to experiment on Regina and try to kill Sam, essentially. Because mm. Sam has been exposed to the comet. Again, never explained. What does it mean right. to be exposed? What does it mean, like, you have a rash, and then what? Is this how you progress to zombie style? Never explained. <laughs> so, but don't worry. <laughs> Because Hector comes back just in time to watch one of the scientists die by suicide at the radio station. Like, he just comes in dressed like Santa Claus, and he's like, hey, I'm back. My whole family's dead. And she's like, I'm killing myself. And he's like, who are you? Where are the people I was here with? (laughs) She's like injecting herself with a fucking liquid. He's like, I would like so many answers, please. Yeah, are you a zombie? Who knows what's going on? Who the hell are you? I just got here. I just showed up. I have gifts. It's almost Christmas time. What's what's new? What's happening? What's popping? And truly, who are you? And then she just dies. But he finds out 
that Sam was taken. He saves her. We don't see it, but he saves her. Mm-hmm. And then they pull off a heist, as you do, with her inside of a trunk. They play they play a surprise heist. Uh-huh. Um, they save Regina and some kids that are also being experimented on by these scientists in this desert. And then in the end, they all turn into the fucking Hogan family. <laughs> this movie makes no sense. And yet I cannot stop thinking about it and watching it every few years. <laughs> It is the weirdest ending. And then Samantha at the end is like, oh, God, you guys are like a whole family now. You with your fucking experimented on kids. And you got the last guy on Earth, I guess. And then this guy just randomly pulls up in a car and is like, hey. And she's like, oh, thank God. And like hops in with him and drives away. Yeah. I, uh, first of all, we had a really good setup for Regina, Right, I was like, yeah. she works at a movie theater. She plays video games. She's cool as shit. She like has taken self defense classes. Mm-hmm. Like her she's dad gonna taught be... her how to use like assault weapons. <laughs> exactly. Like yo, this is our queen. And then at the end of the movie, she like is essentially Sandy Duncan from the Hogan family. Yeah, like she's a, she's a, a mom. And is she wearing a doily bib dress? She's in a doily sweater, and she's eighteen. Let's not forget, she's 18. She puts on the uniform so fast. A fucking belted doily sweater and a long-ass Laura Ingalls skirt. (laughs) And boom, she's a mom to these two kids. From a lab in the desert. It's just, it is, could not be stranger if you tried. It's so wild. It's so wild. But it's weirdly, it's so much fun to watch, but it is not good. L- listen, that mall scene is really iconic because it is this like it is the song "Girls Just Want to Have Fun" made famous by Cindy Lauper, but it's definitely not Cindy Lauper singing. It's no. somebody else singing it, right? It is a B side. <laughs> it's like a B track, <laughs> maybe C track singer. They had no music budget for this movie. They had no budget for this movie, so they definitely didn't have a music budget for this movie. This is like someone's aunt singing in a garage with a fucking <laughs> Casio. Somebody pressed record while their aunt was on Star Search and was like, we're just going to use this for the film. Um, they, But it's like the, the, the part where they're like, <laughs> there's this like really great um, shot of her putting down her like, assault weapon next to some pumps yes! some like looks like a pump feels like a sneaker and i'm like that is a tablescape if i ever saw one that's oh, for God. fucking thanksgiving i need like you know a an automatic style weapon next to some oh, shoes some oh, ladies footwear absolutely unreal absolutely unreal yeah it is a sh- and, and she has at one point one of those um I don't think she ever wore one, but I always associate these, like, sparkly berets with Ricky Lee Jones. Oh, yeah. Because, <laughs> like, her her bangs are over the beret. Like, it's only on the back half of her head. It's like a yarmulke beret. And it's super sparkly. And she's wearing one of those, like, suit jackets that's also a skirt. Like, it's just short enough to be... It's long enough to be a skirt, but too short to be a dress. She looks like Rebby Jackson in the Centipede video. Ah! Not <laughs> Rebby Jackson! <laughs> Ah, not Remy Jackson in 2022. <laughs> oh, 
they're about to go on the town. They're like Absolutely. wearing all kinds of like, yeah, bejeweled, you know, furs and like uh, fancy berets and shit. I'm like, yeah, what? none of this, all of these outfits are not conducive to nuclear holocaust or Thank the apocalypse you. or whatever the fuck is going on. Y'all are just running around doing career opportunities in these furs. You need to get into one of those scientist jumpsuits and leave this day-to-night Barbie shit behind. <laughs> there is no room for glitter in the apocalypse. <laughs> get yourself in a fucking tactical uniform. <laughs> There's nothing but dust around you. The sky is blood red through the whole movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, ma'am, I know you're 18 and like 16, I, I'm guessing. But again, it's the 80s, so every teenager looked like they were 40. Like her younger sister looked older than her somehow. I don't know. But like, come on, get in some, get yourself down to the Husky Boys section of that fucking Nordstrom's or whatever the hell you were. That's Sears. You need a Husky pair of dungarees, not even jeans. We're not talking Jordache. We're not talking designer. You need a dungaree. You need a working denim that can withstand this dust. You need the Velcro romper stomper of pants. You need something. That is tactical and sensible. Get yourself this. a boot. Yeah, exactly. Got you. Got to. I mean, it is like okay. Let's have a, a tiny bit of fun to this off-brand version of girls just want to have fun. But like, you got a fucking world out there that you don't even know what the fuck is going on. I don't know. I would not. I would personally not be playing dress up. I'd be freaking no. the fuck out. I'd be thinking first and foremost: Is our water tainted? Where's yes. our water supply? Because there's red dust bodies everywhere. The fuck are we going to drink? <laughs> what the shit? Oh what are we going to drink? What are we going to eat? Do we have to cover ourselves up from this stuff that's in the fucking air? Is that why Sam has a rash? Again, it's never explained. Mm-hmm. How do you get exposed? To- I mean, there are so many steps before shopping spree. Yeah. They need a commando style bust into an army navy store shopping spree. Oh, I was literally waiting for that. Like, I was like, I know I hadn't seen this movie in forever. I felt like there was definitely like a mall madness situation, but I didn't realize it was the opposite. I thought it was going to be like, oh, they're going to go and get like weapons and stuff. I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot that they have this like opulence, this furs section, this Tommy gun with the shoes or whatever. And I'm like, wow. Was I off the mark? I, I misremembered this film completely, so. They have, they have one last gasp where they're like, we're never going to have fun again. So we may <laughs> as well. They didn't know the Hogan family was coming for them. <laughs> they're like, we're never going to have fun. We're 18 and 16 and our lives are hell now. And I guess we're just going to bop around in this mall. And then fucking Salon Selective's Willie comes out <laughs> and is like, what's up? I'm the least fucking threatening dude of all time. They could have just pitched him over the banister. Like, there didn't even need to be a fight. He was just, a, like, such a strange, I don't know, it was a very strange character. Yeah, Regina fought a fucking zombie at the beginning of the film. She could yeah. take this guy out, no problem. She could take this guy. She yeah. could take this guy. She doesn't, but she could take this guy. So, yeah, it is It is just one of those mall scenes that I, I clearly associate with this movie, but also with this time frame of, like... totally. It is an Aquanet scrunchy sock time. Yeah. 
And I love it. It's so fun. And I truly, the last time I watched this movie was a few years ago with my friend Amelia, who had never seen it before. Mm -hmm. And I was like, it is not good. It is fun. We're going to watch it. We got got some wine and some pizza. And we watched Night of the Comet. And she is also a television writer and a a writer in general. And um, as soon as it was over, we both looked at each other and we're like, who has the rights to this? We got to remake this. Yeah. You should. If, if I was ever going to remake anything, it would be this because I would just just to explain the fucking story, yeah, fully and give it like a new mall scene. What would a new mall scene be? Oh my god, don't even. Like, yeah, I mean, it would it would it would be what Instagram stores like <laughs> sponsored ads <laughs> like <laughs> Etsy. Oh, Who knows. Lord. But somebody does. Somebody owns the rights to it. We couldn't um, get it. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah, such an iconic mall scene, but but a real fun movie. I mean, a lot of loose ends, of course. Wow. Oh my god! But you know, it is so such a vibe that like '80s LA vibe. I mean, it kind of shares that in common with Miracle Mile, which I think is so cool that you actually brought this movie up during that episode. Yeah. But like, yeah, I mean, both. I, I can't believe both these movies. Uh, this wasn't planned, by the way. When we came to the episode, we were like, "What? What are? What is something we want to talk about?" And then they just happened to be both shot at the same mall yeah. within like a year of each other. However, they were the movies were released within a year of each other. I'm like, "Well, here we go, prime time mall." Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit! Oh, that was fun, fun, fucking fun. It is again just a wild, just a wild ride. Yeah, well, listen, I, um, if you have stories of the mall or anything, any feedback, you can email us at I saw what you did pod at gmail.com. And you can also find us on our socials at I saw pod on Instagram and Twitter. And you know what? While you're at it, just t- why don't you leave us a five star review? Why don't you leave us? We've had a lot of people leaving uh, St. Elmo's Fire reviews, um, which <laughs> <Still>. I love. <laughs> I love it too. I absolutely love it. But let's give you now something else to do because a lot of people tell us they want to leave reviews but they don't feel like they can write. Leave us a five star and just comment a transitional shoe. <laughs> just like 10 of you do that to make us laugh. You can still keep doing St. Elmo's Fire. But I will I will never not laugh at St. Elmo's Fire reviews. That will me always either. be with me. But give us a transitional shoe and an emoji. It will make me laugh. <laughs> so hard (laughs) if you know you know if you know you know and look we also have some movies for you next week oh yeah millie do you want to tell them what the movies are yeah i sure will if you don't get this theme you're fucked basically (laughs) question your whole life if you don't get this you are absolutely fucked no um the movies for next week are the Omen from 1976 and Pet Cemetery from 1989. Oh, I cannot wait to watch both of those with my grandma. <laughs> oh my god, they're, they're probably in her Hall of Fame. Those oh. are probably all timers, huh? Both iconic to her. Yeah, iconic for different reasons, and for me also for different reasons. But I can't wait. Yeah. This was a blast. Next week is going to be a blast. We might yes. be back on our daytime caffeination recording routine. Oh, I think so. I think so. So sh- uh, get ready, folks. 
Listen, Danielle, is always a fucking pleasure to do this podcast with you. Tom Selleck is the new Wilford Brimley, and I don't care what anybody says. It's just, it's just the way it is. <laughs> Bye. Bye. This has been an Exactly Right production. Produced and mixed by Casey O'Brien. Our theme song is by Tom Bryfogel. Artwork by Garrett Ross. Our executive producers are Georgia Hardstart, Karen Kilgariff, and Danielle Kramer. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at IsawPod. And you can email us at IsawWhatYouDidPod at Gmail. Follow I Saw What You Did on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate and review the show. And visit ExactlyRightStore.com to purchase I Saw What You Did merch.